Right now, we head to Washington, D.C., and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and New York Times investigative reporter David Farenthold. So, David, explain to us this uh, Trump's latest move here. He's not asking for the Supreme Court to decide the immunity case, but to suspend, just suspend the decision and not take the case up? Well, this is about a play for delay. We talked about this before. Trump's strategy in this is just to push this case off until it either gets to the, the end of the general election or until it goes after the general election, where he could, he could just pardon himself. So, yes, he, he's asking the Supreme Court to uh, basically block his trial, keep his trial from going forward on the January 6th charges, the charges that he incited the January 6th uh, insurrection. So uh, I, I don't think it's going to work, just looking at the president of the Supreme Court, but you never know. If, even if they take it up and, and consider it seriously, the result could be a long delay in the trial. Yeah. Is it fair to say that based on the oral arguments in that case, it, it looks like this was pretty much open and shut for the justices? They didn't think that the former president had any kind of immunity. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they're going to be sympathetic. I, I don't think he's going to win this case and have them say, "Well, President, you know, because Trump's argument in this case has basically been the presidents can murder people, and you know, nothing can happen to them while they're president or after they're president unless they're impeached." Uh, so, but I, I don't think they're going to go for that. But I do wonder how long they're going to take. Right now, for the other case, I don't know if I've asked you your, your opinion on this already, but it sounds like even the liberal justices in the um, in the election uh, interference case. Uh, in the 14th Amendment case, I mean, were not really ready to rule that uh, he could be kicked off the ballot. Yeah, that basically the, the argument from the liberal and conservative justices was this is basically not something that states get to decide. You know, this is something that, that Congress should set rules for, and Congress has not set rules for it, but that doesn't mean states can make up their own rules. Basically, states can't decide who can run for president or not. Uh, so, you know, the, the question is not whether Trump committed insurrection or not, but whether the, the police for that are the state governments or some, you know, some function of the national government. So based on the, the, the timing that we're looking at now, are any of Trump's cases going to be decided before the election? I, even in the criminal cases, I think the best chance we have is for the um, the January 6th one, the ones before the Supreme Court now. I think if the, uh, the judge in that case seems inclined to move quickly. So I think if they, um, if the Supreme Court doesn't take up, doesn't give Trump a stay, doesn't block that case, doesn't agree with Trump's argument, that we will see that one happen before the election. Okay, and that is the one that basically accuses him. Well, it doesn't accuse him of insurrection. What does it accuse him of? Basically, you know, inciting this riot and, you know, and riot. trying to interfere with the outcome of the elections. Right. Okay, so that's strictly election interference case. As for the Georgia election interference case, is it looking like that's pretty much dead for the moment because of the uh, the compromised position of the district attorney? Yeah, I, don't, I didn't think it was going to go to trial anyway. Trump was going to go to trial just because it's so complex. There's so many different defendants. It seems like it's been moving very slow. But yes, now we have this additional element where these uh, apparently Bonnie Willis, the DA, uh, having some sort of affair with the lead prosecutor. And there's an argument that maybe they were having it before she appointed him as the lead prosecutor. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough about that case or about the law to say like it, you know that's going to interfere with the actual prosecutions but it certainly has delayed them while the judge asked them to account for what they were doing right the biggest uh, event i guess in, in terms of the campaign of the past week were trump's comments on nato now he's he's talked about this before i mean one of the the uh, highlights of his first campaign was his throwing doubt on whether NATO was even necessary anymore and scolding the countries for not providing at least 2% of their GDP to the cause. Um, now, though, I'm seeing a little bit, I don't know, I don't know if I'll call it 
panic, but uh, the the military analysts that we're going to be hearing from later this morning, uh, who served in that area, considers his latest comments to be just a, a betrayal of everything that uh, you know he he worked for when he was uh, serving NATO. So, uh, how serious is Trump when he says, uh, "Okay, Russia, do whatever you want"? I mean, it does seem pretty serious about like abandoning NATO. There's some of the people who are working on laying the groundwork for his next term, which we've reported on, think we should basically suspend NATO, maybe not cancel it, but basically pull the United States out of it in every practical way and leave Europe on its own. You know, the, the I don't know what Russia – Russia is obviously very weakened now. They're having trouble even beating Ukraine. Um, but that would be a really different world and a world that was more chaotic and that gives more – Leverage and more openings to people like Iran and China and Russia, the people that the Republicans say they're against. So, you know, I, I don't I don't understand why the Republican Party is rallied to that and had to switch switch positions so quickly. Um, but it seems like Trump is saying, you know, I don't care if there's NATO. I'm going to use their the country's lack of contributions as a reason to basically pull out. And I know people sort of blow it off. You know, what what is Putin going to do? Invade Europe? Uh, but what I'm hearing is. Well, yes, because there are substantial populations in some of those border countries, including uh, Poland, including uh, Estonia, and the very real chance that Putin would do what he did in Ukraine, send in these little green men, and suddenly there would be this, quote, election, and uh, Russia starts to grow again. Now, is, is that scenario being realistically contemplated there in Washington? Yeah, I think it's what that's what Putin wants. You know, yeah. again, I don't I, I don't know his ability to deliver it, um, but he, that certainly is what he wants. And if the U.S. is gone, and suddenly Europe has to start defending itself, and time when Europe is already economically in trouble, uh, yeah, that that starts to seem much more likely. I, I mean, just the way we've seen Putin move before, I think generally it would come in a much more sort of co- uh, coercive but but gradual way that he would start to bring those countries back in his orbit. But it would, it would mean a much more unstable Europe um, and a much more unstable world if the U.S. got out of NATO. And just for our planning purposes, finally, uh, is the government going to shut down or not? Mike Johnson, the House Speaker, has seemed really, really averse to shutting the government down. His, his position is kind of precarious, but I just don't see him doing it. So I, I think he sees that as a gift to Biden, um, and he doesn't want to do it. Okay, so we can go ahead and plan our visit to a national park. I think you should, yeah. Okay, excellent. David Farenthold from the New York Times. Thank you, David. Thank you. Choke points. Let's go. The HOV expansion through Tacoma wrapped up last year, but drivers immediately noticed that eight miles are missing. Did somebody screw up? Were the maps wrong? Is it a computer glitch? Let's go to Chris. Yeah, what happened to the HOV lane? Why doesn't it continue? That's a question I've heard a lot since the work on I-5 finished last year because it basically stops there right after Highway 16. And then the new project that starts down at Thorn Lane that we had and opened up last year, you know, there's that big gap. And so Gregory Lund of Tacoma reached out to me and asked, why are there no HOV lanes from Route 16 down to near Thorn Lane on I-5 North and South? He continued, on both sides there seems to be room, but they which causes extreme backups as the far left lane gets clogged with non-express vehicles. And the answer really comes down to a couple of things, funding and sequencing. There is a giant to-do list at the Washington Department of Transportation, and it's up to the legislature to decide which to fund 
and in what order. And once, say, a project is done in one area, the next project in that same spot kind of goes to the you know the bottom of the list. They start working off of everywhere else. People would say, oh, well, you're only working in Seattle. And what happened to us over here in Ritzville? You know what? They kind of it gets that way. That's a perfect example of why there's still a gap on Highway 2, uh, sorry, 522 out of Monroe, where the recent widening didn't make it all the way across the Snohomish River down to Maltby. There's like a little gap there, too. If you were like, why didn't they just do that last mile and a half? Well, because it wasn't part of the defined project, and that next spot is on the, the list. It just hasn't been funded yet. So I checked with WashDOT on where the HOV lanes between 38th and Thorn Lane are on the list today. And environmental and design work are set to begin in 2029. What? And, and construction <laughs> is scheduled to begin in 2032. That's when they're going to add the missing piece of HOV lane there from South Tacoma down to JBLM. That's because the current project in that general area is from where the HOV lanes end south of JBLM down through DuPont. That's what they're working on now. That's how the sequencing is put together. The work is underway, which includes a new completely built new diverging diamond interchange at the Stillicum DuPont Road. Uh, basically, the HOV lanes are going to begin and end right around Mounts Road. And then the next part of that will be to go down all the way across the Nisqually River Bridge. And then we'll go back to Tacoma uh, in the sequencing of things. So I want to thank Gregory for the question. Uh, it's one I got a lot. And, of course, you can be the next star of my choke points. Uh, be just like Gregory. All you have to do is text choke points to the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, or you can always reach out at mynorthwest.com. But there's your answer. I know it's mm. not satisfying, but that's the way it is. Can you do what they do in Congress where if you want something passed, you link it to something else? So if you link the... HOV lane completion to like a new fish culvert or something. So in other words, you're looking at the earmark thing, kind of like yeah. what Senator Leas did last week by sticking the potential you are tire ban so back mad into about something that. unrelated. <laughs> you mean, that's something a, that, like that. Yeah, that's well again. But then in order to do that, the way the money is done and the way the scheduling is done, something else would have to be postponed, and something else would not get funded. And so that's to and you know with competing personal interests around the state, you don't want to get, you know, yeah. someone go, well, geez, you spent all that. We are always spending on Vancouver. Well, here's something to work on, on then, if you're looking for something. I haven't, I haven't uh, sent my question to the text line, but if, um, if they repeal the uh, carbon tax, right, what projects would have to be dropped because of that? Well, good luck getting your ferries by 2028. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, if they'll be able to finish the 520 bridge uh -huh. uh, across Portage Bay, because it's facing, what, a $300 million deficit now. Uh, and so, yeah, and that's what it's going to come down to uh, when you start seeing the messaging for the Citizens Initiative later this year is yeah. you better keep the, your 40 cent gas, you know, carbon tax or else you're not going mm -hmm. to get X, well, Y, I mean, and Z. Are uh, they lying or? Well, what, I mean, like, what they could do is actually fund those things and then not hold the voters hostage. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way things are done yeah. in politics, as you well know, is, you know, you 
you fund other things and then claim poverty when you need to fund the police and fire and the <laughs> essential things in schools. That, that's that's the way it's works. Unfortunately, I smell, I smell a commentary in the future. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that's the like, that's the on, way Chris. it works. <laughs> Un- yeah, I mean, you want to know how the sausage well, is made? Exactly. Yeah, yeah the fat exactly goes right. in first. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a deeper look at former President Trump's comments about NATO. He suggested he had threatened to encourage Russia to attack delinquent NATO allies during a rally in South Carolina on Saturday. So I called up CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland to ask him whether this type of comment would be even legal. To do that would be even legal if Trump were to become president again. Certainly the president has great um, prerogatives as commander-in-chief of the U.S. military. And for example, prior to this, the United States Congress had actually in recent months passed a law whereby no president could pull the United States out of NATO absent a vote of the Congress or the Senate, since it was a treaty and had been ratified back in 1949. That being said, many legal scholars argue that may not be constitutional if it's taken to the Supreme Court, that particular law passed by the Senate. In addition, however, the president's commander-in-chief can, to use your words, punish the alliance, if you will, by simply withdrawing all our forces from their territory, holding up military assistance, if that's part and parcel of the effort, and basically, if you will, neuterizing the effort. And I suppose by taking that action, Congress could then impeach the president. But uh, that's obviously, as we well know, a very, very arduous process. Yeah. And Mr. Trump, prior to departing the White House, you may recall, uh, did direct the uh, substantial reduction uh, in U.S. military forces from Germany in a way to punish the Germans, uh, which was reversed when Joe Biden took over. Yeah, because I was hearing uh, an argument actually on MSNBC last night that it would be against the law for the for a president to do any such thing. But you're saying there is there's some wiggle room there if you had a president who really wanted to uh, basically allow Russia to invade. Exactly. I mean, he could just simply say, you know, if you read the treaty and everybody says, you know, you know, attack on on his attack on all the actual text of the treaty for NATO actually says all alliances will consult. And back during the way back during the Cold War, I remember meeting with a German diplomat one time, and he said, "Well, you know, we can fulfill all our obligations under that particular treaty by just sending you a postcard of our personal regrets when you get invaded." <laughs> now, now, over time, obviously, it has taken on this stronger notion that you know an attack on one is clearly an attack on all. But again, the president still has those authorities invested in him as commander in chief under the Constitution. And could basically, you know, neuterize any policy that seemed to be supportive towards the alliance. Okay, so then what Trump, Trump's statement basically is not an empty threat, which leads me to the next question: uh, Does this essentially uh, help Vladimir Putin in some ways, without alleging any kind of direct conspiracy? Uh, how does this affect Vladimir Putin's plans? Well, should Trump be elected? Well, clearly, in, in my opinion, clearly this is irresponsible. I mean, it sets off uh, <laughs> shockwaves throughout the alliance. We've had a large number of our NATO leaders uh, react very, very uh, outraged by these comments. And NATO Secretary General, probably for the first time in history, publicly came out and gave a speech and criticized a former U.S. president and someone who is running for the White House again. And second of all, I think it's fair to say to anyone that's the happiest person in Europe about Mr. Trump's remarks would have to be Vladimir Putin as he looks out across the horizon and sees that Ukraine is having difficulty defending itself as it runs short on air defense weapons and artillery because of a shortage of military assistance and is suffering from significant casualties. And so he still believes his willpower is stronger than ours, and he'll eventually 
prevail in the Ukraine. And this is just sending him a clear signal that that is very true because the United States is going to step back from his commitments. And finally, I mean, I think that one thing everybody needs to understand, the war in Ukraine, in many ways, I would argue, is a surrogate or a proxy for Russia's real objective. Russia's real objective is to destroy NATO. That has been a Russian objective back to when it was the Soviet Union, without a doubt. I mean, Russians used to tell me repeatedly, NATO is a four-letter word in, in, in Russia and always will be. Um, and this just seemed to move things in that direction. We're hearing from CBS military analyst Jeff McCallson. So I ask him, if, if Trump becomes president and basically welcomes Russia to uh, defy NATO, would Putin actually do that? What Putin does next is, of course, he he prevails in the Ukraine. Right. Now, I think it still may be a pretty difficult fish for him to swallow, to say that, in terms of how many forces he might require to occupy that. But over time, based on what he has already said, you know, and his the Russian threat, as described by Putin, is hiding in plain sight based on the comments he made way back in the day that uh, the end of the Soviet Union was the greatest catastrophe in the 20th century. In 2007, he gives a speech in Munich, which he describes as so-called near abroad. And, and since then, has talked about Ruski Mir or the Russian world and saying basically all people of Russian ethnicity need be within the territory of the Russian Federation. He, he's not... He doesn't want to recreate the Soviet Union. He wants to recreate the Russian Empire. He doesn't want to be Brezhnev. He wants to be Peter the Great. So all the countries <laughs> okay. on the periphery who have who have Russian ethnic populations are going to either have two choices. One is to cave to the Russians, number one, or figure out how they can defend themselves. Well, how they can defend themselves. Well, it seems to me a, a world in which countries like Finland, Sweden, uh, Germany, perhaps, Italy, Spain, who are industrial societies – all acquired nuclear weapons because they think we have to do down our own self-defense. We can't depend on allies. That's not necessarily a better world that the United States is operating in. All right. So do we take this? I mean, we get sort of jokey about this idea, but how serious is it? Well, I think it's what Mr. Trump has done for us, which I think is, first of all, irresponsible. And frankly, I find it offensive to me and guys like me who spent many years of my life uh, physically in Europe, defending Europe from intimidation by the, by the, by the then the Soviet Union, um, but it shows us, I think, a real shocking divide within the Republican Party, where you had about seventy plus senators or so just now vote um, for a military aid package for Ukraine, and Mr. McConnell, the the uh, senior Republican in the Senate, gave a really impassioned speech to show why this was so important. So you got that ring wing of the party, the old Ronald Reagan, peace through strength wing of the party, and the American Firsters movement, which Donald Trump seems to be touting and seems to be courting. And then, of course, uh, how the Republican Party resolves that between now and their convention is going to be a trick. But then you're going to go into a general election with a very clear choice in foreign policy between the a foreign policy of the United States being committed abroad, being an international actor, being a leader on the globe, insisting on the creation of global norms, and a uh, if it's Mr. Trump's nominated, a uh, elected official who would lead the United States into isolationism, not only not only militarily but economically, raise tariffs, et cetera, et cetera. CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland. Thank you, Jeff. Take care, Dave. Your daily dose of kindness is brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. At a five-year-old's birthday party, the guest of honor had a powerful reunion with the people who saved his life. CBS's Tom Wayne reports. Some very special guests for Daniel Berrigan's fifth birthday. No one had to call 911, at least not this time. But one year ago, a member of this paramedic team helped rescue Daniel from a rollover crash. Today, they were reunited. Whoa! 
Daniel loved every second of it. I feel great. Daniel's grandmother was driving the car when the accident happened. Daniel's birthday has special meaning now, and seeing the crew that helped save her family was a powerful moment. It means a lot. If it wasn't for Flack coming, oh. <laughs> coming by and rescuing me and my grandkids, I, I don't know. You guys are just a blessing in disguise, and, and I'm just very grateful for this day and that everything's okay. Daniel got even more surprise hero guests from the fire department and the sheriff's department, all coming to show a little boy that heroes never forget their new friends. He's loving it until he thought he had to go in in the ambulance. Neither him nor Ava nor I want to get in there. Today's super important for us because we're part of this community and we get to do something for a member of the community who we, we helped once for a few minutes, but uh, getting to, to actually see him and see the recovery that he's made is just fantastic. That is CBS's Tom Wayne reporting. And that's time for G. Scott visiting from the G. and Ursula show. Good morning. And uh, I hear there's some new football names I'm going to have to learn. Yes, yes, yes. Before we get to the football names, I just want to comment. Did the two of you call mm. each other this morning? Did you see yes, Dave and I, I twinning? See it. I was you guys so are excited. Twinning. If you can see on the camera. <laughs> What's up with that, you baby? over so they can see look, look at the green yeah. right there. Is this St. Patrick's Day? Which, by the way, I can't wait to celebrate as I found out my people, 21% of me. He's Irish, baby. <laughs> I could have told you that. <laughs> you knew it. You look Irish to That's me. That's so great. That's what I'm talking about. What else about. did you find out about yourself? Uh, let's see. Uh, a lot of my folks are from, uh, you know, Ireland. Uh, let's see. What else did I find out? I found out that uh, I found out my son is really my son. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know why we're laughing, but that's good. Wait, hey, no, I'm just, check that box. No, <laughs> I always do that, but I'm just saying, like, hey, it's good to have confirmation right yeah. there in DNA, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, Ryan Grubbs. Okay. Yes, Ryan Grubbs. Who he is was he? he was the offensive coordinator for the University of Washington in their Huskies. Mm-hmm. He was the biggest, re- one of the biggest reasons to their success. Now, his name's not talked about because you're talking about Kalen DeBoer, who was the head coach. You're talking about Michael Penix. You're talking about Romo Duze. You're talking about that stuff right there. But there's always somebody that, you know, you know, it's like when you go to that restaurant, right? You go to your favorite restaurant and you say, oh, this restaurant's so great. But nobody really talks about the person that's doing the cooking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You might not even know their name, right? right? You might have watched University of Washington all season long and you just now found out who was cooking. Mm-hmm. So this guy's the sous chef. No, 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 no. He was, he was, he was Big Daddy on the ribs. Big you know daddy. what I mean? Like he, he was. He big, had his own section. He was Big yeah. Daddy. Gotcha. You go to a barbecue. You've been to one of these barbecues, and they got the Bluetooth in their mouth. They wearing flip flops, and they got a, a white tank top on, and they really cook it, and they got barbecue sauce all over. <laughs> so Ryan Grubbs is an offensive line coach type of deal, right? That's that's the beauty in him. And I believe that he's, the reason why he does so well is because, Colleen, he sees the game inside out, hmm. if that makes sense. And he protects the quarterback, right? <clears throat> Uh, sure, the offensive line does, but I'm just saying as far usually when we are talking about an offensive coordinator, most of the time it's like a former quarterback, right? And it comes from that angle. Matter of fact, when we hear analysts in on TV, it's a former quarterback, Tony Romo, yeah. right? I mean, so, so sometimes why do we always got to hear from the quarterback? 
You know what I mean? Right. Let's hear from other parts of the field. And this Ryan Grubbs is on. It comes from the offensive line, and I think this is going to help the Seahawks with their run game, which they needed to get better yeah. in the first place. But all in all, and I know people might say, "Well, gee, he has no experience in the NFL." He's never coached in the NFL. This is his first time <clears throat> with with that. Being an offensive coordinator for the first time in the NFL, to which I say, it don't matter, baby. Yeah. When the lights are bright, my man Ryan Grubbs, I love <laughs> this hire. I, I, what I, does that I, mean I, for the for you, Dub? Though, because <clears throat> they've lost their head coach. Now they've lost he, their he offensive was, coordinator. He was, no, no, he was gone anyway. I know. He left. He left there to go to uh, Alabama. I know. He was in Alabama shorter than y'all remember uh, Mike Price. And remember why he didn't stay in Alabama? Mm, okay. <laughs> Money. Gonna get paid. No, yeah. no, 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 no. No. What? <laughs> no. Remember oh, our discussion from yesterday? And the types trouble. of polls that were at the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show? Dancing polls. Dancing, Dancing polls. Yes. I'm I'm lost, but yeah, okay. Me too, but, just, oh. <laughs> but at least we're wearing the same thing. So, <laughs> so at least we match. So so he came. So he left Alabama. So right now, okay. every folks are leaving Caitlin DeBoer in Alabama the way my ex wives left me. <laughs> it, it is crazy around here. Up to everybody leaving. For that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 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 so before you know, it, you got to get on the couch and, and talk to your therapist and say, yeah. "So how does that make you feel, G? I'm hurt." Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ryan Grubbs. So now they have you know the offensive talent the Seahawks have. They have DK Metcalf. They have Jackson Smith and Jigba. They have Tyler Lockett. They have Geno Smith. So let's find out what Ryan Grubbs can do with this offense. Colleen, right? I'm more excited about the offensive coordinator hire and Ryan Grubbs than I was the head coach. What about the defensive co- line coach, former Dallas Cowboys, Aiden? <clears throat> Uh, Durday, Durday, Durday. My man's from London. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was a D line coach uh, under um, Dan Quinn out there with the uh, London. They don't play football in London. They do play soccer in in London. Well, soccer, yeah, football. But they love football. We've played a game. Seahawks (laughs) have gone and played a game. Yeah, they love love American football. (laughs) Is it the same? No. What you mean? Yeah, it it's, is. Yeah, we travel over there and play football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we bring the American sport to yeah. the Londoners. So, so uh, Dirt is this a Ted Lasso's plotline? <laughs> Kinda. Davis so lost. <clears throat> no, 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 no. There's a lot to be said to okay. the Ted Lasso thing. Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing: these three coaches have never been this high up. Mike McDonald has never been a head coach. Right, offensive coordinator Ryan Grubbs has never been an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Durde has never been a defensive coordinator in the NFL. So yeah, this could be a tad less tail lasso situation. I love it. Who's yeah. going to tell the stories? Good story. Mm. Yeah. Man, the NFL really came up with a good one this time. Really did. Yeah, good for that. It's all part of the conspiracy. But, but Dave, I still haven't taught you what this is yet. Let's oh make it God. rain, okay. we baby. We can do that after school. That's an after school activity. <laughs> the okay. only time Dave makes it rain is at church when the collection basket. Uh, there you go. Do you make it rain then? Right. Yes. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Time to go to the legislature. Cairns Raiders Matt Markovich joins us. He's been following the action in Olympia. So uh, what's up with this ban on banning books? Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, 
day 37 out of day 60. And uh, Dave, before I get to that, I just want to, it's a big day for the legislature. Today is the House of Origin cutoff, which means that bills must pass out of the House or Senate if they originated there by today, because then they go over to the opposite chamber and they start debating it again. Um, so a big day for to lawmakers today to get stuff done. Lawmakers now in the state house have passed a bill that essentially bans the banning of books that focus on people of a protected or marginalized class, particularly the LGBTQ community. Now, House Bill 2331 passed along party lines, 5839, with all Democrats voting in favor, all Republicans voting against it. It prevents local school boards from creating policies to remove or restrict materials in the classroom or a library that focus on themes of people of a legally protected class. And a definition of that protected class can be found in many state laws that prevent discrimination based on race, age, and sexual preference. Uh, Democratic Representative Nicole Marcy talked about the genesis on the ban of banning certain books. Well, we're seeing an increase in book bans nationally, and most often we're seeing that happen to young adult novels where the protagonist is female, queer, or non-binary. So Colorado, Kansas, New Jersey, New Mexico, and Massachusetts reportedly have uh, have or in the process of legislating book bans. School school districts would be unable to refuse to approve a a prohibition to use the textbooks, instructional materials, other curriculums solely based uh, because they are addressing contributions or roles in the individuals of groups of protected class. I pulled that language right out of the, the bill there. Now, Marcy mm-hmm. talked about her personal experience. She's a member of the LGBTQ caucus. I can relate to reading stories that describe my experience when I had a lot of self-doubt and didn't feel like I fit in. And when we target books that tell our students that their experiences are not valid and they don't fit in, we jeopardize their self-esteem. We increase their anxiety. We increase their depression. We increase the suicidal ideation that we know that our LGBTQ students experience at a much higher rate than their peers. But materials that are found to contain bias against another protected class can still be rejected. Now, Representative Skyler Rood, he's a Republican from Walla Walla, opposes the bill. So I think there is sometimes confusion between the protected class status and the inappropriate material. For example, there are materials that include sexually explicit material. Um, It doesn't matter if that act is happening between somebody who is part of a protected class or not. It's about the inappropriate material that's sexually explicit. So starting, if the bill passes and goes all the way to the finish line, starting in 2025 and 26 school year, school districts must create policies following guidelines set by the superintendent of public instruction on how books are reviewed and should should a challenge arise. Now, Republican Representative Peter Arbano opposed the bill, but he asked for a change in letting school districts decide and not let the superintendent of public instruction, that's a statewide position, decide what's appropriate at a statewide level. The OSPI, a a partisan office furthest removed from your local community, should not be making those final decisions. It should be with the parents working with their schools and with their teachers to make sure that there's appropriate material within those schools. So a parent would have to initiate the challenge, but it's unclear if a parent must have a student in the district 
where that challenge is made. Now, the House, again, passed 5839, party line vote. Companion bill, though, in the Senate, 6208, did not pass out of committee before the required deadline. So my estimation, Dave, is since the Senate failed to pass a similar version, the likelihood of this House version passing the Senate in a very short legislative session appears unlikely. But I thought it's worth noting. Okay, so talking you, about. So as I understand what you're saying, they could still ban books that shows some bias against LGBTQ. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, or, or yes, or any marginalized community. Yes, that's right. that's the only thing. Well, I got to bring up the inevitable. Is aren't there some books of the Bible that show that that are biased against uh, homosexual behavior? I'd like to see you raise that challenge there, Dave. Well, I'm not going to raise a challenge. I'm just curious <laughs> if anybody brought that up. No, no, that did not come up. Okay. No, that All did right, not well, come up. Keep your eye peeled. I um, will look for that. Gun zones. Yeah, so uh, this the state senate passed a bill broadening the scope of specified spaces, places where individuals are prohibited from knowingly carrying guns. Now, this is about open carry. Uh, bills, uh, the bill deals with open carry. We have, uh, we are an open carry state where you're allowed to carry an unconcealed gun on your hip in public at specific spots. And currently, that's you can't carry open carry in jails, courtrooms, health facilities, taverns, and airports. Now, under this new legislation public libraries, accredited zoos or aquariums, transit centers and facilities owned by transit authorities would be added to the list. Here's the bill sponsor, Senator Javier Valdez. He's a Democrat from Seattle. I hear that from my constituents day in and day out, they want us to address gun safety. They want to ensure that they feel safe out there, their families, but especially their kids, libraries, parks, zoos, aquariums, transit centers. That's where they want to feel safe at. So the bill restricts the open carry of a firearm at these locations, but it still allows for a person with a concealed weapons permit to carry a gun at those places. The Republicans like Senator Linda Wilson from Vancouver uh, took issue with the banning of open carry at public transit at transit centers where she says there's a lot of crime. So she offered an amendment to take public transit out of the bill. If you can't take your own transit to get somewhere in neighborhoods where you probably need to be able to defend yourself, then you're not going to be able to get off that bus and still be protected. You have no ability to protect yourself in self-defense cases. And But Jamie Peterson, a Democrat from Seattle, countered Wilson's argument. I want to assure you as a daily transit rider that I will neither be safer nor feel safer with people walking around openly carrying. And the amendment failed on a voice vote. But uh, Senator Phil Fornacho, uh, Fortunato says the law-abiding gun owners at open carry in public places are, unbeing, are being unfairly vilified by these recent push of restrictions and requirements to own a gun. He told one of his colorful stories, and I'll end with that. I went hiking in Mount Rainier. I carried a gun on my hip. Open carry. You're allowed to do that in a national park now in Washington State. And people saw that gun on my hip, and they got farther and farther and farther away. All the way up until a point that somebody said, there's a bear on the trail. Then all of a sudden, everybody got closer and closer and closer. The person that carries a firearm is carrying that firearm to protect himself, his children, his family, and perhaps others. As far as I know, there's never been a bear on the light rail. So do you get, uh, do you still get to carry open carry on the light rail then? Um, yes, you, well, uh, no, you, if this bill passes... No open carry on light rail. Ah, um, okay. Unless you have a concealed weapons permit, then you can obviously carry. Concealed carry, okay. Can, so it uh, passes, yeah. It private, pass, property owners, private property owners could, could still say, like, no guns in our shop? Correct, yes, right. yes. 
Yes, they can stop that. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Matt Markovich. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome, Dave. Vicky Gomez is here, and I'm ready for this topic because I just saw Becoming Dr. Ruth at the Village Theater. So I'm all over this uh, love stuff, mm-hmm. just in time for Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, and you talked to a love psychic. I did. I did. Uh, reality show host and psychic matchmaker, Deborah Graham. She teaches people how to move on from lost love. I'm, I'm very different than your normal matchmakers. I don't look at you. I look in you. I'm able to feel and see your energy. Mm -hmm. And she explains. I go into your soul, into your spirit, Mm -hmm. and I become you. So I'm able to see exactly where you need to be versus where you're at. And sometimes what you think you want in a relationship is not always what you need. So while on Zoom, I took my glasses off to see if she could connect with me. Well, you have a strong soul. You're you're a leader, not a follower. You know what you came in here to do in this right. world, and you don't got to come back and do it again. This is your last rodeo, bro. So, well, wait a minute. She yeah. connect with you over Zoom? She did. She looked right into my eyes or my soul, as you will, and she made that uh, she made that prediction. I've had problems connecting with almost anything over Zoom, so I'm amazing that she can connect with your soul. Yeah, we had some good Wi-Fi, but um, but yeah, so what she means by my last rodeo is that if you believe in reincarnation, my soul is on its last life. Hmm. That's so sad. what does that mean exactly? I don't like that. What did you think about that? Well, I, I was okay with it. I mean, according to the astrological chart, it's true. I'm a Pisces. My birthday is February the 28th. I'm at the end of my Zodiac cycle. Yeah. So Graham special. <laughs> what? I don't know what to say. You're like so upbeat about this. And I'm going, Mickey, it's over. My soul is tired. <laughs> I've done a lot of work in this lifetime. But listen, Graham's specialty is matchmaking. And Cairo News Radio's Diane Duthweiler volunteered for a reading since I've already found love. Will that love be there? Yes. I feel like it's already around you. I see a lot of red and red means love, happiness, health, wealth and strength. But the one thing is, you don't like to give up your power. You like your four walls. You notice that about yourself, girl? That is so correct. Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission to have fun and make time yes. to take time to do what you really want to want to do because you're a person that's in your head. Yeah. You're vibrating, girl. Sounds like you got a good vibrate going on right now. Would you say so? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell that to Diane when she gets to work today. You're vibrating. Well, <laughs> Duthweiler says Graham's reading was spot on. And I and I actually got to hear it because I was right next to her. And I just kept, <gasps> <gasps> So anyway, so Graham's five tips for finding romance. Well, it's common sense, to be totally honest with you. I wouldn't even call it psychology or even you know, psychically, it's just listen to your gut because we're all psychic. So supernatural aside, keep digging. And if you're online dating, get on the phone, reach out, reach out and speak to them, but not just even speaking to them. If they're that far away, get on FaceTime, get on Zoom, make sure that you have that direct eye contact is your gut is your intuitive wishing. That's your psychic ability. And in the beginning, she says, follow the rule of three. Three dates in three weeks and wait three months before you consummate the relationship. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about waiting till marriage? I mean, you could always do that. Did you wait till marriage, Dave? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Right. Well, they, well, he's, he's well, the one that said new. wait till marriage. The so conversation did not go the direction I thought it was going to. <laughs> Please, nobody ask. <laughs> Anyway, she was a lot of fun. She was really interesting. Um, we did have kind of a off the off the record 
reading for me and and I thought hmm okay she knew a lot of things about me that that I didn't share and mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty wild uh I and but there is this part of me that's like okay how much is the psychology versus psychic ability mm-hmm. but it, it was it was probably one of my most fun interviews I've ever done that's really fun yeah so how does this change the way you celebrate Valentine's Day now? We don't celebrate Valentine's Why Day, not? actually. When Andrea and I first started dating 21 years ago, we actually had a fight on Valentine's Day. The following three uh, Valentine's Day that came three years later, mm-hmm. we fought. Oh. It, like, not fight, fight, but like we had an argument. Like, okay. we're breaking up. This isn't working. Blah, 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 blah. And so when we finally worked it out, we said, we're never going to celebrate Valentine's Day. It's cursed. <laughs> oh, my God. So we don't celebrate. We celebrate Sweetest Day, which is a very popular uh, thing in the Midwest. Huh. When is it? It's in September, I believe. Sweetest Day? Sweetest day. It's a Hallmark card uh, holiday. Well, so is the, in the Valentine's Midwest. Day. Right, exactly. So we don't celebrate sweetest Valentine's Day. day. I've we never heard it. Can we do a day. feature on Sweetest Day? I will I, do a feature on Sweetest Day for I've you. Never yes, heard I that. will. Who, it sounds super who, Whose idea was it to assign a Valentine's Day story to a person who hates Valentine's Day? Well, I don't hate Valentine's Day, Dave. I just, we don't celebrate huh. because right. for some reason or another, well, it's it's a, it's a cursed day in our relationship. Well, so no chocolates for anybody, huh? No chocolates, this no roses weird. or anything. According to Google... Mm-hmm. Sweetest Day is celebrated primarily by women who treat the men in their lives with gifts of candy and other sweet gestures. Oh, I like that. So one. it's like the reverse of it's Valentine's. Like the, yeah, it's kind <laughs> of like the reverse. But we would sell. But it's a big thing in the Midwest. It's a so, Michigan thing. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, that kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Meg. I think we've You're all learned welcome. something today. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. Here to help. Almost yeah. too much. I, I, she's is. almost done. So thanks <laughs> for being here, Vicky. <laughs> I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.